0: Hello, I'm Yolanda Brown and welcome to LPO Offstage. Today, we're finding out about the logistics of touring. How do you pack an orchestra onto a truck? And what are the challenges of getting an orchestra across the world or even just down the road? We're joined by LPO Transport Manager Damien Davis and double bass player Laura Murphy. Welcome, Damien and Laura.
1: Hi, Yolanda. Hi.
0: It's so nice to be talking about touring and so refreshing that we're actually getting out there and doing it again. So you're talking in practice. We're still on Zoom, but I can see, Damien, you you don't look like you've got a, a homely background behind you. Where are you?
1: That's absolutely right. I'm actually parked around the corner from my house in my van. We're having a kitchen put in today, of all days. There isn't a room in the house where we'd be able to record this. So, yes, I'm sitting in the van. I just wanted to give you a taste of authenticity, Yolanda. Well,
0: exactly. I mean, it's a space that you're used to, you know. Now, Damien, can you tell me what exactly does your job entail as transport manager?
1: Oh, goodness. So as Transport manager of the LPO, it's basically to make sure there's secure passage for the transit of, of all the instruments, uh, all the musicians' instruments that they use. That's whether it's by air, sea or road. And it's to take care of the safe transportation of them to get them from A to B because obviously we're, we're part of an on-the-road team so we move about a lot we rehearse in various rehearsal venues and then we have to transport the instruments to the concert halls so we are constantly on the move and This is the livelihood of all the musicians. They've been working with these instruments their entire lives. Some of them are their pension fund. And so we need to take care of them and make sure that they uh, are not in two pieces or three pieces (laughs) when they arrive at the concert.
0: (laughs) I can see Laura laughing along there, but deep down, she's like, yeah, yeah that's right.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Laura, it's great to have you here. Obviously playing the double bass, you have one of the largest instruments in the orchestra besides percussion. I mean, the remit of me carrying an instrument is my saxophone and it's always on my back. So I find it fascinating. Mm. What is it like for you uh, having your double bass transported around and sort of what interaction do you have with Damien?
2: One of the good things about being in a symphony orchestra is that we have, like, a great transport team that are, you know, very careful with our instruments and, um, you know, we place a lot of trust in them. But if you're, say, a freelance musician, quite often you have to transport your own instruments. So actually it does take a weight off knowing that it's in a hard case and being transported by people that you trust. Mm. Just being in London, because we're moving between venues all the time, it really helps having wonderful people like Damien moving our stuff oh, around for us. Oh, you got that us. 20
1: quid I gave you there, Nathaniel. <laughs> <laughs> Commission so is got flowing nicely. Got that like <laughs> in early. Thanks, Laura. I owe you a drink. Cheers, darling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you actually hit the nail on the head there, Laura, because, I mean, we know that your home is Royal Festival Hall and a lot of performances happen there, but then you also rehearse over at Henry Wood Hall quite a lot as well. So yeah. sometimes, you know, your, your instrument is travelling just a mile and then it could be throughout Europe and throughout the world. So, Damien, how often are you doing those short journeys then?
1: The short journeys are more or less every other day. So typically... A programme in a week would be, let's say, rehearsal at Henrywood Hall on a Monday and a Tuesday, and then we would move into the Festival Hall on a Wednesday. We would then come back to Henrywood Hall on the Thursday, rehearse Thursday, Friday, and then go back into the Concert Hall on a Saturday for a concert Saturday night. Then there would be a a chance of perhaps a, a concert in Eastbourne or Brighton, which is, funnily enough, we've just completed a concert down there this weekend. So on a Sunday, we would travel maybe down. There. I mean, we're always on the road.
0: And how many people are in your team helping you move all those instruments?
1: We have a stage and transport team consisting of three main members there's uh, Laura Kitson, the stage manager, and uh, myself, transport manager, deputy stage manager, and Stephen O'Flaherty, who's a stage manager. We all have HGV licenses. That's gold dust right now, right? Absolutely, <laughs> gold dust, definitely. <laughs> And we would typically use a crew of around maybe four or five people depending upon the size of the load in and out of whatever venue we're in. I'd say that there's usually a team of about six or seven people doing a load in. It really does all depend on the programme. Sometimes if it's just a string setup, you know, we'd probably have three or four. The trust between the musician and the person who's transporting their instrument has to be 120%. They have to trust what we do. It's a special bond, actually which we can often take for granted, but you're constantly aware of making sure that everybody is handling that carefully, whatever instrument that is.
0: Yes. And what about the other logistical challenges then, Laura? I mean, how many double basses do you have? Is it sort of one precious double bass that is your go-to, your baby? How many instruments do you have?
2: I have one precious (gasps) baby. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Um, Yeah, one one precious double bass. You know, I think like a lot of musicians, I kind of scraped a lot of money to get them, begged, borrowed, and stole, and uh, <laughs> not literally stole, but uh, <laughs> rather than getting a mortgage, I put my money into my instrument. So I've got this one very precious Howarth, um Manchester bass, lovely orchestral. English instrument and um but I am very lucky that my partner also plays bass. Ah, yeah. <laughs> he works in the West End so he's got a couple of basses. So very often if I need a second bass and he's not freelancing then I get to use his nice instrument. So That's I'm in a very fortunate situation in that sense but um I think there might come a time if um Hopefully when touring gets back to pre-pandemic levels again that um, I may need to start looking at trying to find a, a second instrument.
0: And can you give us a little bit more context? I love how your face has just lighted up. Speaking about your double bass, how much does a, your double bass cost?
1: Oh. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. There's a question.
0: Does
2: Damien know the answer
0: to this question? <laughs>
2: <laughs> a lot of basses, I'd say, if you're looking at getting like a nice English instrument, it can be anything from sixty to £70,000 up to £110,000, I mean, the prices have gone up a lot in the last... Ten, twenty years, I'd say. So I know that I bought my bass from somebody who was in the BBC Philharmonic, and he bought it for a hundred pounds. I didn't buy it for a hundred pounds.
1: <laughs> Special offer on you know, a little something.
2: <laughs> I bought it, you know, five or six years ago from him and he was just retiring and I think he'd had it since he was fairly young, wow. you know, in his 20s or 30s. So,
0: Damien, you said there that you bring the amount of movers, if you like, onto the team, how and when you need them. I mean, I've been on so many tours where it's a game of Tetris to get your <laughs> all your instruments and backline into, usually for me, the back of a splitter bus or a tour oh, bus. We do know. our best work in tight spaces, Yolanda.
1: <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
0: (laughs) But do you have a way that you like things done? And do you have to sort of prep that team beforehand, say double bases first or last or wherever? Or do they kind of know what they're meant to do when they turn up?
1: A little bit of both. It depends on the venue you are in. It helps to have a sort of geographic knowledge of how the venue is laid out. So, for example, there's a venue in Essen where the backstage is, consists of corridors and small staircases. Oh so if you imagine the size of a double bass in its case and then multiply that by eight, well, you've got to work out where you're going to put them. And don't forget, they need to be close to the stage. So whether the basses have been positioned on conductor's left or right, y- y- you have to find somewhere where they can safely take them out of their cases and get to the stage. Without too many obstacles, because yes. as you can know, you know, trying to navigate your way through 80 odd people who are also trying to do the same thing with their precious instruments, it can get a little bit jammed. And so the journey from where the instruments are in the venue to the stage is equally as important. The crew, the regular crew that we get in they do know what they're doing it's um they've been doing it for years they're they're all professional and they all work for other orchestras as well the freelancers it's imperative that they know what they're doing as laura has just said the monetary value of these things are super high when you take for example instruments to china or something like that and you don't know this person you don't speak the language you are just trying to communicate visually through smiles and pointing and this and that (laughs) it's amazing how often with a double bass if you pull it one way it doesn't land on its wheels and it can just drag along the floor so you have to push it a certain way because there are four tiny wheels on the stevenson cases at the bottom that are extremely sensitive and it only goes one way and you see people sometimes crew who think it's actually better to pull it behind them well actually that's not the way you transport a double bass you should always keep it in front of you because it has a tendency to topple over and if it topples over on the bridge end or if it falls on you know on the on the back side of the instrument you know it's going to get knocked it's going to be you know vibration so you have to know how to handle it i mean at henrywood hall we have these big metal plates that uh, bridge the door lining and, and the door step into the hall because Anything on the ground as you're wheeling, it just would create an impact and that could, you know, really damage the instruments. And unfortunately, in the past, there has been damage and you know, please God, not in my time, but there there have been damage and the smallest of cracks, I'm sure Laura would back me up on this, the smallest of cracks is so detrimental.
2: Yeah, I mean they're very old instruments, aren't yeah, they, as hundreds well. Of years, so yeah. like that's the thing it is like you get a little hairline crack and I mean certainly on a bass it can cause the most almighty rattle yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it can take a long time to get that actually fixed, you know, you can be taking it to and from a luthier all the time and they're constantly gluing it and trying to work out how, and it comes open again or, you know, once you've got a crack... It can, That's why we can always open, keep a little bit
1: of Pritt stick in the van, so we can there. just yeah. go yeah. over yeah. And, and hopefully they won't notice. Oh, um, yeah. Because I know when you find the Pritstick stick actually does glue the neck to a, to a base really well. So far, no one's said anything, so, so far, no we're one's okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> there's just a constant rattle in the uh, London um. Philharmonic Orchestra bass section.
0: So. <laughs> but it's amazing, actually. You speak about that trust. You know that the team has the instrument's best interest at heart. But I mean. You're speaking about vibrations. You're talking about shaking, never mind dropping cases and things like that. So, Laura, for you, when you approach that case at a concert or at a rehearsal, is there an
2: almost, I don't know what I'm opening here, or are the instruments checked before you get to it? It's funny you mentioned China because actually none of us take our first instruments to China <laughs> because ah, we know that train. it's not going to be handled by our crew when it gets out there right um
1: yeah the, 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 unfortunately we don't have 100% control when we fly to mm-hmm. uh, to cargo terminals because of, of very strict security so you're right Laura mm. yeah
2: so generally if it's Europe or it's been on the truck i I'm not so worried it's if it's been on a flight I would you know if you go out to America or something that's when I you kind of like is it gonna be okay you kind of like take it out and check around everywhere to see if anything's open or yeah oh that's interesting tricks of the trade there don't take the first instrument
0: too to far <laughs> I like that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so Damien with that knowledge for especially the double basses is it almost sort of last in, first out with the double basses, how how you pack the truck to make sure that the musicians have access to the instruments?
1: So the instruments need to be transported at room temperature, as close to room temperature as much as possible. Obviously, if they get too cold, I'm talking about mostly the string instruments here. If they get cold, the wood's going to shrink. If they then suddenly come into a warmer venue or a warmer place, then obviously that wood's going to expand. So we have to try and keep them at about a room temperature at all times. We have up-to-date technology on the tr- in the back of the truck that is, I mean, essentially it's, it's, it's not an air conditioner, it sounds like it is, but it actually does maintain a consistent 21 degrees in the back there. And obviously we would turn that on... Only in the winter, because in the summer the truck is insulated, keeping a sort of a regulated temperature in the back there. We can also cool it. So, for example, I've driven to Ravello before in Italy, and that wasn't for this orchestra, it was actually for another orchestra. And the temperature outside was 42 degrees. Oh, my. So you can imagine, obviously, you know how warm it gets when you suddenly sit in your car when you've just been in the supermarket or something on a hot sunny day and you get in your car and it's a sauna so when it comes to offloading them and getting them in and out we would tend to stick the stringed instruments towards the front end of the vehicle where the heater more or less i say heat the heat where the air is is in again it depends on how many bases you're actually transporting but we have special load bars in the back of our lorry And they fit really well right up at the front with sort of like the percussion where the timpani sit. I mean, as you probably know, sort of through the the physics of force, if we were to brake suddenly on an emergency stop in the vehicle, obviously your load shifts forward. So the way you have to pack it is the more heavier stuff at the front and, and sort of gradually the lighter uh, instruments towards the back so if in an emergency you had to suddenly stop that force hopefully it's the lighter stuff pressing against the harder stuff. How much does a base weigh actually, Laura, in a case? I should know this 50, 60 kilos I, you know, maybe
2: There's a certain amount that it's meant to be for if you're travelling with it and you're putting it on the hold in an airport. Oh
0: yes <laughs> yeah. and it actually so It's actually like media age it, and true age isn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> and, and it weighs
2: more than that but you yes. always say it weighs less but I'm sorry, I can't, I can't Remember what the actual figure is, yeah.
1: <laughs> and if it's right now, you have to pay a levy for that. Maybe I don't know. Absolutely, yeah. yes.
0: <laughs> wow, this is all so fascinating. I mean, when I came onto this podcast, I didn't think about all of those minute details. That's really, really fascinating. Damien, can you tell us a bit more about the actual truck? Then, what does it look like?
1: Oh, my baby! Oh, the baby! Yes, oh, now you're got her now we are going to talk about up, my yeah? baby. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Tell me about
1: the truck Oh God, How long have you got? I've, I've got <laughs> as long as you need Okay, Go, go make a cup of tea And uh, we're, we're, we'll, we'll begin are you, com- are you sitting comfortable? So yeah, we, we have a new truck We've named her Claudia After Claudia Schiffer, oh. the supermodel Because Absolutely. she's so sexy And uh, I took uh, great pleasure In helping design her over a two year period It was because of the ULEZ I mean, most people would be familiar of the Mm -hmm. ulez around london now that's the ultra low emission zone it came into force in april 2019 and that basically meant that your older vehicles that didn't have a euro 6 engine were not emission compliant Therefore, we had to upgrade the engine of our truck. It wasn't just a question of being able to get a Euro 6 engine and put it in the old truck. Sadly, it doesn't work like that. We actually had to get a brand new vehicle. So it was an opportunity to get uh, what is you know, quite an iconic symbol for the orchestra. It travels everywhere. Everybody looks at it. And I wanted it to look right, but I didn't want it to lose the characteristics of the older trucks so we kept the same mm. color obviously the same the font for, for the orchestra but i just wanted a slightly more aerodynamic sleeker design we went for a top cab spec for the comfort of the drivers because we go on very long journeys for example so that's
0: where the drivers sleep is that
1: we oh that I, trust me i've got a palace in there now i mean oh. the, uh, <laughs> i was very lucky <laughs> I, I i pushed for it um we have a habitation unit in the back so basically they cut through the back of the the lorry so it's not just a double bunk we actually have a little cut through where we have a small sort of like little kitchen with two extra chairs i've got a hydraulic bed that comes down over the driver's seat and the passenger seat and then we've got another camp bed that folds down for the co-driver we've got a fridge we've got power points usb points uh, and it is you can make a cup of tea whilst you're on the road that to me is luxury and it is something that um, we thought seriously about but the main reason why we got that is because Because in most commercial vehicles, haulage vehicles, they only have a co-driver seat, a passenger seat and a driver's seat. There's only two seats. We like to transport our crew when we can with us. So they're on board. They arrive at the venues on time. We all get to the same destination on time we jump out and we can load in it saves an awful lot of hassle it was two years in the making really I mean just, just wow. to get it right and people do turn around look and, and say wow, wow look at that and she does she, she looks she looks really good I just want to add one last thing that we're exceptionally proud of, and that's inside at the front, we have a, a hydraulic lift because our tympanist, Simon Carrington, his, his Hartke timps are an extremely valuable, and they're very, very delicate as well. They're super heavy, and you can't place anything on top of them, so you are losing space in a vehicle wherever you are. If you're not using flight cases, we just have soft covers for these timps because they're coming in and out all the time, and they're quite hardy instruments. But I asked for a hydraulic shelf, so basically we don't have to lift these. 100 kilo Timps onto a shelf. This electric shelf comes down and it hits the floor. We wheel the Timps onto it and then we've got the little remote dongle there and they just lift effortlessly up that into the air exquisite. and we can pack stuff underneath it like tuned percussion, vibraphones, um, xylophones, you know, and, and, and it all travels safely.
0: So have you then described, is Claudia the dream truck or is there anything else that couldn't quite be done on this time that would really make it the ideal uh, transport
1: Yolanda, she is the dream truck.
0: Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to lie. She is the dream truck. And I'm going to miss oh. her, actually. I am going to miss her.
0: Well, this is it. Yes, you're on your way on your way out. I know you've got a family. You're expanding, aren't you? <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, expecting <laughs> uh, expecting uh, our first child, my wife and I, in March next year. Oh. So, yeah, I can't be in two places at once, unfortunately. And I think uh, I'm going to venture into the next big adventure of fatherhood, yeah.
0: Well, I tell you, trying to get a push chair into the back of a family car, I mean, you think you've done it all. <laughs> you haven't done it yet, Damien. <laughs> I love
1: it. I love I'd it. I'd
0: like to see a hydraulic lift on your oh, car. Yeah,
1: tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant.
0: Uh, but it does sound like a lot of organization. I mean, yes, of course, on Damien's part. But for you, Laura, I mean, weeks and months ahead you're saying right we're playing this piece we're going to be at this theater or it's in this country this is the base i'm taking but my other base will be here i mean do you have spreadsheets and things like that or do you keep it all in your mind oh
2: gosh i wish i was more organized (laughs) i mean we have to decide you know like with we're going to spain a week on tuesday but the instruments are getting packed up on saturday And then we're not going to have them back for a while because there's a Turkey tour not long after that. So they're basically going away to Spain, coming back, and then going to Turkey, I believe. Yeah. And you have to list what's going on the cargo and uh, what you're taking on the flight. Obviously, I put my base on the cargo. <laughs> and I take my bow on the flight so that I can at least have my own bow if I'm doing other work or we've got other patches. And um, so I've already said that I'm going to take my main my howarth and... Um, I've suddenly thought, oh, we've got like maybe two or three days of work before they get back from Turkey. And I'm thinking, I've got no idea what instrument I'm going to play. So (laughs) if uh, my partner Andy is freelancing and using his bass, then, I mean, his mum found his first ever Double bass, <laughs> just the backup uh, to the backup to the backup. It's like, <laughs> yeah, this is the, the this is the backup, backup, backup. And it's like this old like factory Hungarian factory base, and uh, he's just had a bit of work done on it to make it playable, you know. So I'm thinking, oh gosh, when, we'll I mean, could I, I use that? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> but that's interesting that you say you take your bow because I, I would think the same. I'd take my mouthpiece and my reeds would have to stay with me, you mm. know. So is there anything else that you don't put in? The case
2: i never put an electric tuner in the case do i david you don't ever
0: <laughs> i think there's a story behind this statement
2: what's that about laura <laughs> i wasn't there
1: <laughs> um I think uh, well, well funnily enough it actually it was it was in china again i keep on bringing china up probably people think oh my god let's never go to china it's, it's a great country but you're not supposed to fly with any sort of form of uh, liquid or lithium battery and uh, we've been at a Chinese cargo terminal where they X-rayed a double base, and sadly somebody, after sort of many reminders that this is not the case, you must never travel with batteries, left a tuner in, in their case and it caused us about a 45-minute delay whilst they had to examine it wow. and I wasn't able to open up the case so I was behind a caged uh, barrier and I was working through a translator who was translating everything I was telling them and how to open the base case and how to examine and to watch this musician's bass i i actually recorded it i filmed it because i wanted the musicians to see how important it was to make those final checks before their instrument gets packed and it flies Mm -hmm. and goes back to again what we were saying earlier anybody other than someone who knows what they're doing is so dangerous when you have freight handlers that you don't know Opening up an instrument, oh, it's terrifying. You've
2: got to put it back in, yeah. It's it's
1: exactly, it's terrifying.
0: What was the reaction to the video of the player and other musicians in the orchestra?
1: Ooh, well, there was an apology Um, (laughs) to you. Yeah, there was an apology to me and Laura, thankfully. And it's only happened one or two times. It it really has, but you have to make sure you approach it with with saying there are going to be no mistakes. So any hold-ups, we could miss a flight, therefore we don't get to the next venue on time. And it all could be because somebody maybe left a bottle of water in their case.
0: Mm. (laughs) Let's speak legal as well for a moment. What about sort of the Carnes? What's the situation with that and getting that many instruments across the different borders, especially with Brexit and going into Europe?
1: Good question. Carnes are, well, basically they're a form of contract. Um, They're called ATA Carnes, the ATA is a mixture of both French and English, which stands for admission, temporaire, which is temporary admission. So we promise to transit goods into another country and we promise to bring back the same amount of goods that we have brought in. So it's a temporary import export license and every musical instrument, every item that we transport has to be itemized individually. So it could be anywhere between one to a thousand pieces. So that needs to be checked right down almost to... We've had problems with um, earbuds that musicians wear to protect their ears on stage. And you can get a box of, let's say, 500 earbuds. The musicians would help themselves for the protection of their ears during a concert. And then we're sort of, are we supposed to count how many are left, you know, and then <laughs> individually itemise them? I mean, that, that's sort of splitting hairs. But each item is listed. It's because we we operate on what's called our own account. We're not trading for hire or reward we're not taking our goods over to another country to sell them we are just using them for our own business so carnets are well now i mean obviously they uh, they are in force into europe whereas before they weren't so pre-brexit and through the schengen agreement i think which was signed in 1985 you had borderless transit through all the European countries, we didn't have to show much paperwork. And now, post Brexit, that's all changed.
0: We've referred actually to cargo during the podcast. uh, And that's when all of the instruments are going either on a plane or do they go by sea ever? Or it's always on by plane?
1: They do. In fact, I think... My predecessor, one of my predecessors, the great Ken Graham, who's uh, the great orchestral logistics god, <laughs> um, he actually had to transport them by uh, longboat to Venice once. I think they had all the instrument cases had to be put on this gondola and had to be literally punted to the venue oh, no. in Venice. You know, and they were all in. He told me they were all in um, wicker baskets or something. I mean, there's a photo of him on the on the boat.
0: Wow, it's quite ceremonial. That's lovely. So then when you get to China or to the States, you've flown over with the orchestra to that location. Do you hire a truck on the other side? How do you get things from the port then? Yeah, good question. So we
1: we outsource to other haulage companies in the destination country. Fortunately, the relationships between the, the London Philharmonic and all the freight companies have been going on for years. So I sort of came into the company knowing that there was a precedent and there were business relationships between the LPO and the freight handlers and so therefore we use the same companies all the time because again they know what they're doing. They've done it before. And you've
0: you've described quite well. I mean Laura has let us know how precious and valuable her instrument is. What about sleeping on the truck? Is there an element of yes, you need your rest, but are you a bit of a bodyguard for the instruments as well to make sure that they're safe in the truck?
1: Yes, I slept in the truck many times. And again, it comes down to planning. It comes down to where is the vehicle going to be parked. Clearly, you can't just uh, pull into any car parking space when you're 15, 12 or 15 metres long. (laughs) So you have to know where it is you're going to stay. You have to route plan. You have to know what points along the way you're going to stop at. It does come with experience, actually. You know where the, the safe locations are. I mean, a majority of the time... When you have a really long journey, it's actually quite nice for the drivers to get a hot meal and a shower. So when you've been in a cab for twenty hours, and then you sleep in the cab, and then you drive for another twenty hours, it's not advisable to be in in, in such a small space for that that you amount need of time. You control so, on your side as yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. So you know, but of course the, the cameras around our truck they record everything as well around. Well, so course, um, it's a right. sort of a deterrent for any intruder.
2: Has anyone ever tried to break
1: in? fortunately not not this one I did hear that um, <laughs> oh no I can't mention that orchestra but let's say <laughs> so, so an orchestra truck pulled outside uh, the venue in Paris at the Police and um <laughs> the police had to break into the truck because they thought it was a security threat
0: <laughs>
1: um, and uh, it was uh, the stage manager and the transport manager were inside the venue they came out there's all this glass everywhere the police surrounded their vehicle they, they were know. just literally popping in there to say oh, we're just going to uh, reverse in now is that okay? <laughs> and the, the, the police were there but yeah so luckily no one's broken into our truck Yeah.
0: and finally Laura as a touring musician are there any sort of words of wisdom that you can share to other musicians? who have to hand over their instrument time and time again, either coping mechanisms or ways that you make sure that your instrument is taken care of in the best way possible.
2: Don't pack your tuner in, in the box. <laughs> Listen, it's a small thing. Don't pack your
1: tuner in your own <laughs> soft right. butter. Smiles, smiles, smiles. smiles.
0: <laughs> and keep your bow with you.
2: Keep your bow with you. Yes. Detune your strings when it's going on a flight. Oh, why is that? <laughs> just because of the tension, the changes in the air pressure. Um, it just takes the pressure off the table of the instrument. So, yeah, we always have a... An ongoing joke in the Alpio base section that even if we're like just going to Fairfield halls in Croydon for a rehearsal, we'll be like doin' 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 <laughs> going on tour, <laughs> <Is that laughs> but, yeah. Which we'll be doing a lot, you know, at the moment post pandemic. So, oh, I bet you've loved
0: hearing that sound again, not having yeah. heard it for eighteen months. <laughs> like, <"Do-do-do-do-do-do." laughs> well, both of you, Laura and Damien, thank you so much for sharing, and I wish you all the very best with the rest of your touring
1: thanks Yolanda, thank you very thanks. much
0: Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Damien Davis and Laura Murphy for shining a light on how an orchestra like the LPO actually goes on tour. And all of the amazing logistics and legal elements that come into it too. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod. And thank you for listening. Do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage, where we'll be taking a deep dive into some mala. See you then we